I'm John Mooney and welcome to The Dark State. This podcast is brought to you through the generous financial support of our subscribers on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. If you wish to contribute and gain access to more exclusive episodes, please do subscribe. And now, on with the show. What role is disinformation playing in the Ukrainian invasion? Today's guest is Natia Siskuria, an Associate Fellow at the Royal United Services Institute in London. I'm John Mooney. Welcome to The Dark State. Natia, welcome to the show. Can you tell me a little about yourself? How did you become involved in the study of Russian politics? Since I was very young, I have been witnessing how Moscow has been trying to push Georgia into its orbit and increase Georgia's economic and political dependency on Russia. I believe my personal experience um, has affected my choice to study Russia and dive deep into the topics of how Russia projects its power and what tools do they use. So this is something that's very personal to you. You're very much involved because your own home country has been also invaded by Russia. And that's something that many people in the West have overlooked or simply forgotten about. Indeed. I think, um, I think unfortunately, the 2008 war and the effect that this war has had on the region and on Georgia has been largely ignored by the West. And what we are seeing now unfolding in Ukraine, I think, is largely a continuation of Russia's imperial ambitions and Russia's aggressive policies towards its neighbors. Uh, Georgians and Ukrainians have been facing Russian aggression uh, for many, many years. But I think the acknowledgement of um, how how far Kremlin can go uh, has come just now. And we see that the West has been able to finally unite and to finally uh, counter Russian aggression. Uh, we will, of course, have to see how effective this, these measures will be. But, um, however, I can definitely tell that uh, the reaction towards the 2008 war, towards the um, annexation of Crimea in 2014, hasn't been the same uh, what we see right now. Exactly. So we'll discuss this a little uh, later on in the show. Can you give me your views on what is unfolding in Ukraine Can you maybe, I suppose, explain to the listeners the similarities in terms of what happened to Georgia and which is now unfolding in Ukraine, although it's on a much larger scale? Definitely. Uh, what we see now unfolding in Ukraine, uh, I think, is a, is a tragedy, a terrible humanitarian catastrophe and a projection of the brutality of the Putin's regime. Unlike previous Russian military adventures, the current military aggression in Ukraine is probably the most well-documented war in history. We see um, live footage of war crimes, of how the houses of peaceful population are being destroyed, are being bombed. Hospitals and schools are being shelled, how people are being killed. Uh, Russian forces have launched a full-scale military offensive. We have seen that ballistic missiles have been launched from Belarus. Putin has engaged its, uh, his proxy into this war. Russia has shelled cities with, um, with ballistic missiles in 
peaceful cities. I think this is a scenario that we have feared the most, a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Since Russia began a mobilization of its forces along Ukraine's borders, experts have been uh, speculating on possible scenarios. Given the risks and the high stakes involved for Russia, uh, there was a sense that Putin would not go this far. However, what we see now is a fearless fight from Ukrainian people. Uh, Putin has not been able to achieve a blitzkrieg in Ukraine, as I think he anticipated. Russian troops are experiencing serious losses in land combat and are unable to advance other than in the south of Ukraine. Of course, Russia has a number of decisive advantages in surface-to-surface missiles, in combat aircraft, combat helicopters. But even though Ukrainian military is uh, more capable compared to 2014, the the amount of capabilities that Russia is ready to deploy uh, against Ukraine is enormous. So, uh, unfortunately, they do have a, a, a huge advantage. Um, and I, I believe that there is still, uh, the tough days are still ahead. Um, at the same time, Ukrainian armed forces have demonstrated that they are very efficient in land combat, and most importantly, the spirit is definitely there. The recent poll has shown that 88% of Ukrainians believe that the country will be able to repel the Russian invasion. Um, I think when we uh, talk about the parallels, the similarities between what happened to Ukraine and uh, what, what, between what's happening in Ukraine and what happened to Georgia in 2008, there are definitely a lot of similarities. And uh, you have uh, rightly mentioned that um, uh, that uh, the, the, the Georgian, uh, Georgian invasion um, uh, uh, what, what we see now in Ukraine um, has been largely used in Georgia in 2008. Ukraine uh, is, of course, uh, more important for Russia, hence the stakes are much higher. There is a, there is a, um, uh, there is lots of history, um, and there is lots of. Um, um, Ukraine ha- is much more important in terms of uh, historical ties for Russia. But I think uh, the methods that have been tested 14 years ago against Georgia are being used now. Um, and uh, I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, prior to announcing um, uh, Russia's recognition of the independence of, um, of Russian-occupied Ukrainian territories, Putin has made an incredibly alarming speech that included a twisting of uh, history, uh, of Ukrainian history. Similar methods have been applied to Georgia, and uh, Putin has tried to, to uh, twist Georgia's history uh, by using false narratives, by using disinformation. Uh, Russia sees both Ukraine and Georgia as tools being used against Moscow by the United States. And this thinking uh, is not new. This dates back uh, from early 2000s, and the 2008 war, as well as the annexation of Crimea in 2014, um, is a continuation of Russia's hostile foreign policy and inability to accept that Ukraine and Georgia have sovereign choices, and this choice is largely uh, pro-Western. Georgian and Ukrainian people have been striving to uh, join NATO, to join European Union, and this has been largely seen as a a threat for uh, Russia and for uh, their national security. 
So there is nothing new about the narrative um, uh, about the protection of Russia's sphere of influence and privileged interests. Russia, I think, is determined to challenge the West um, in the region. And what we see now um, in Ukraine is a, is a huge step towards um, towards um, challenging the West, towards uh, making sure that the, that Ukraine will never ever follow the Western uh, path. Um, and this, in a way, is um, is an example because if Ukraine can succeed, um, then Russian citizens may question uh, the system that they are living in, uh, the system that Putin created, though, which is full of corruption, full of um, full of violence. And the colored revolutions in Georgia and Ukraine have been viewed by the Kremlin as a threat, and uh, massive efforts have been redirected domestically to prevent the same scenario happening in Russia. Uh, and I think a Russian annexation of Crimea uh, was also uh, portrayed uh, by, by Russian propaganda as a, um, as a restoration of the empire of uh, historical justice. So um, in a way, I think uh, what we see now is uh, definitely um, next step towards uh, fulfilling these ambitions uh, from the Russian side. On that note, Russia has engaged in, they've, they're obviously engaging in disinformation and influence campaigns. Can you briefly ex- describe to the listeners what this involves? And you were so correct in what you're saying that the Ukrainian uh, authorities seem to be aware of this and have almost won that battle because Russian influence operations don't seem to be very effective in this case. But can you explain what these influence or disinformation operations actually involve? Uh, of course. I think uh, Ukrainians have been doing a very good job, um, including the government has been uh, working very effectively to make sure that uh, correct information is provided to uh, to the public, to uh, the domestic population, and uh, to the uh, to the outer world as well. Mm. And this is very important. And um, today, Ukraine is largely winning the war in uh, on the information realm. I think. Um, over the years, Russia's aims have changed. Uh, in the past, Russia was uh, still concerned about its image uh, and identified itself as a, as a so-called managed democracy. So, I think uh, if we uh, if we uh, take you know, the August War of 2008 as an example, uh, back then Russia still cared about its international image, um, and uh, therefore the disinformation was largely used to make sure that um, it was Georgia uh, uh, that uh, the war the war started from the Georgian side, and Russia was only protecting uh, the civilian population. Um, I think this message was very important uh, for Russians to be widely delivered in order to make sure that uh, the costs for this war were insignificant or non-existent for Russia. And unfortunately, in many ways, um, I think the West failed to respond to the military offensive in 2008. And in fact, um, instead of punishing Russia with sanctions or with other means, um, 
uh, they got uh, a reset policy from the Obama administration, which which has, I, I think, it has largely damaged uh, damaged the um, largely emboldened uh, Russia to pursue further aggressions, and we have seen examples of this. And what is happening right now is also the result of this soft policy towards Russia and uh, uh, ig- ignorance towards uh, Putin's authoritarianism. Um, I think Russia um, is seeks to achieve chaos and confusion to and uh, in the West by spreading disinformation and uh, uh, by this um, uh, Putin uses Western weaknesses to its own advantage and there are major stakeholders involved including um, including uh, the Western enablers, let's say, who are uh, who are disseminating, spreading this disinformation. Um, in case of Ukraine, I think so far um, Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation hasn't been this um, successful because, as I mentioned, the war is well documented. We have a live footage, we have videos, we have journalists on the ground who are um, who are providing us with information 24/7. So, in this case, I think uh, what it is very it is very easy to compare uh, the official statements with the current reality when we see that, for example, Russia claims that. They wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, bomb the civilian uh, facilities. They wouldn't target the civilian population. And we see that hospitals are being bombed. We see that residential areas are being bombed. So, uh, in a way, uh, now it is much easier to um, to distinguish uh, the uh, disinformation that Russia is spreading and uh, the current realities in Ukraine. I think you're very correct when you say that. In many ways social media, despite all its ills, has been an effective weapon in terms of uh, countering disinformation. Do, do you believe that the awareness of Russian disinformation campaigns is another factor in terms of people are very aware that Russia engages in these strange activities and they have become very cautious about what they see, particularly on social media? Do you agree with that? Yes, definitely. I think uh, social media has both benefits and uh, inconveniences. And uh, by inconveniences, I of course mean that um, I mean we see uh, that Russia is using its troll factories. Uh, these uh, people are uh, working twenty four seven to make make sure that the uh, the the um, audiences uh, being misled, uh, deceived by what's happening uh, currently on the ground. So, uh, but at the same time, um, there is a lot of information that we get uh, from the uh, from from Ukraine, from straight from Ukraine. So, uh, and at the same time, I think it's very important that uh, what we see now, from particularly from Washington and from London, it's uh, the coordinated messages, the coordinated spreading of this uh, information and in a timely manner and also sharing of intelligence. I think what we see now is an unprecedented level of sharing intelligence, which um, has been criticized in the past, uh, in the past couple of weeks. But at the same time, I think it also uh, provides uh, it has been efficient enough um, and uh, it has more benefits to it than inconveniences because uh, it makes uh, uh, 
it makes public aware uh, of the potential risks and threats of uh, Russian invasion. And so we have been hearing for many uh, weeks that uh, Russia was intending to uh, to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, even though a lot of military experts have doubted uh, that Russia would do so, and uh, rightly so, because uh, from even from Putin's perspective, I think it is um, it is a very rational decision, and in the end, I, I hope and I think that it will backfire, because in many ways Putin has uh, put himself into the corner, and uh, now we see that Russian people are uh, starting to think about fleeing Russia, about moving somewhere else, uh, because they can't they can uh, they can't carry on with their normal lives. We see that lots of companies, lots of organizations, financial institutions are leaving Russia. Uh, the sanctions are already damaging the normal life of the Russian population. We see that even oligarchs have um, uh, have uh, so made some soft statements, let's say, towards the, uh, they have advocated for a peaceful resolution of the conflict. So I think uh, this is just the beginning because uh, sanctions have a long-term effect and I think sanctions will hit hard the Russian economy and it will uh, damage uh, damage not only the super rich, but also uh, it will um, affect the population. Uh, so um, I think that is uh, the long-term effect of this is very important. Natalie, in some ways, is this a war that Putin can't win, no matter what? He may be able to inflict awful uh, casualties in terms of the civilian population. He may be over to he may be able to overwhelm the Ukrainian forces, but he really can't win this conflict for lots of different reasons. Insofar as the international community is not going to back down. It could. It, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there is the possibility of a military intervention in some form or other. You may see the West engage in sort of cyber operations against Russia. Uh, I know that 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 is something that can backfire on them, um, and we're, we're all aware of how that can happen. But is this really a situation that he has miscalculated this incredibly badly? And that it may, I'm slightly reluctant to say it may result in his downfall, but it could certainly impinge or undermine his position in Russia. I think you're absolutely right. I think he has miscalculated this, and I think uh, this will uh, backfire for him. Um, I mean, uh, there is no doubt that Russian uh, army has an overwhelming power, and uh, uh, there is no doubt that Putin doesn't want to uh, want to uh, achieve a diplomatic solution. There have been a number of attempts, and these all of these attempts have failed, despite the fact that Western leaders were happy to engage and were proactively engaging with uh, with, with Putin. They um, visited Moscow a couple of times, and uh, uh, despite all these uh, diplomatic conversations, uh, we see that uh, Putin still went ahead. I think he sees this as part of the, his legacy. I think seizing Ukraine, erasing Ukrainian sovereignty is something that he wants to be part of his legacy. But at the same time, we also see that 
Uh, unlike uh, the 2008 war, unlike the uh, 2014 invasion or uh, annexation of Crimea, uh, Russian population is less enthusiastic about uh, this military adventure in Ukraine. And uh, in the past, we have seen that um, the past military offensives uh, have uh, resulted in the increase of Putin's uh, personal popularity. But I don't think this will be the case now because we already see that Russia has um, uh, experienced uh, casualties and uh, there will be more casualties involved, I'm sure, uh, because of the fact that he is, uh, he is leading this brutal war and Ukrainians are fighting for their future and there is no um, no uh, indication that they will uh, they will um, uh, give away the sovereignty of uh, their country uh, to Russia uh, to Russia and uh, there have been uh, claims that for example President Zelensky would uh, flee the country and uh, we see that he stands very strong and uh, his whole cabinet supports him so I think um, this will be a long conflict. Uh, we already see that Russia hasn't been able to achieve military success on the ground. So um, uh, this uh, will uh, largely backfire for him because um, we see that the West is united. Um, I think Russia miscalculated the Western readiness to uh, support Ukraine because in the past we have seen that the West hasn't been united when it came to sanctions, when it came to um, came to uh, making sure that uh, Russia was uh, appropriately de dealt uh, 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 as a result of uh, their aggressive policies. And they have uh, targeted even Western countries. Uh, it's not just about uh, Ukraine and Georgia. We have seen that uh, they have been leading cyber operations against the Western countries. Uh, they have been interfering in elections. Russian disinformation is huge in the West. So um, I think uh, the, the reluctance to, uh, to lead tough policy towards Russia has been portrayed, has been perceived by Putin as, as, a, as a green light to pursue his imperial ambitions. Um, so I think uh, what we see now is that uh, it's what we see now is an unprecedented unity uh, that will lead in uh, making sure that Russia is isolated, um, making sure that uh, Russia is targeted by very tough sanctions, and we already see that um, uh, the sanctions in place are uh, very serious. Uh, Russia has already um, uh, already. Um, the West has already um, cancelled the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, mm. which was a very important strategic project for Russia. So I think uh, all of these measures, in conjunction with the a lack of support uh, towards uh, this military adventure in Ukraine, um, will, may lead in the future to uh, people's protests in Russia. And of course, this is a tricky one, because... Um, we have seen that Russia has been dealing with its own population in, in the most brutal way. Uh, the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, is in prison. Um, a number of activists uh, who came out to the streets, they have been punished. They have been imprisoned. Even now, uh, when, uh, when there was a protest in favor of um, uh, protests uh, uh, in support of Ukraine, um, 
2,000 active, activists have been uh, arrested. So, of course, uh, there is a degree of fear, and Russia accumulates this degree of fear uh, by using this information as well and by using its state-owned media channels. Uh, but at the same time, at some point, I think Putin will cross the red line, even from uh, the perspective of the Russian population. And uh, this may uh, this may cause this may result in uh, people um, uh, denouncing uh, Russia's steps in Ukraine and uh, uh, protesting uh, the worsening of the economic situation, which has been already quite tough as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, because we have seen that Russia has not been able to deal with the pandemic uh, properly. I think it's really important as well to point out to the listeners that most Russian people are actually afraid of the authorities over there in terms of opposition politicians have been murdered uh, possibly by uh, the state security services. If you're uh, Mr. Navalny, there was an attempt made to poison him. He was then imprisoned when he returned and the Russian security services have shown no restraint whatsoever in terms of quashing protests from various civil rights groups and civic organizations. So it's very easy for people in the West to to kind of come to the conclusion that Russian people don't care about what's happening rather than say, well, you know, they might not want to put themselves in harm's way um, by being beaten, arrested, attacked, whatever uh, uh, punishment that may be meted out to them. And I think that's really important to note that when we think about Russian military uh, uh, adventures into other countries or the decision to invade Georgia or uh, indeed Ukraine, that these aren't expressions of the public will. These are are coming from the top down. They, They are decisions taken by Putin rather than a government even and you know he, he is almost czarist like in that um, regard do you do you agree with that analysis or do you think it's much more complicated than that um, I think uh, that is a complicated issue of course um, we um, can't generalize and I'm sure and I know that there are Russians who are uh, who are against the these military adventures, and they are not able to express their opinions openly because it is always very tricky to measure these things in authoritarian systems. And uh, there have been so many examples in the past how uh, Russian uh, Putin's regime have has been able to deal with these people, with the uh, with people who have um, who have opposed opposing ideas. So uh, in that sense, um, I understand that it is very hard to um, to uh, express these thoughts openly or even join the protest. Uh, the, 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 the current uh, situation also shows that uh, um, shows the importance of this information in uh, Russia's political system because um, uh, the uh, media is uh, just recently, for example, Russia's communications regulator um, uh, ordered media to remove reports describing Moscow's attack on Ukraine as an assault or invasion. Uh, so uh, this really shows 
the paranoia. Mm. This shows um, how how far the Kremlin can go to make sure that uh, the public has a certain uh, has uh, only only one uh, opinion, uh, which is uh, the opinion that expresses the Kremlin's official positioning. Um, so, in that sense, um, it is very hard to uh, to uh, measure what is the current uh, current uh, state. Um, how many people really support this uh, military adventure in Ukraine? Um, and at the same time, we see that um, uh, a lot of people have been targeted with the foreign agents law, for example. Uh, lots of organizations were able were not able to continue their operations in Russia. They were forced to uh, move abroad or they were for- forced to shut down their offices in Russia. Um, uh, outlets, including uh, the uh, including um, uh, the te- opposition television channel Dost, for example, and the um, country's uh, independent newspaper Novaya Gazeta, um, have been uh, under so much pressure because of uh, the views that they are uh, they are spreading. Um, so uh, it is it is uh, it is a very tough situation because I think. Um, for the past couple of years, uh, Putin's regime has become uh, even more brutal than it used to be. Um, and now we see that uh, the opposition uh, forces are completely uh, uh, um, uh, destroyed or uh, they are under so much pressure that they cannot operate properly and they cannot mobilize the people into the streets. Um, there have been calls from the team Navalny, for example, to asking Russians to uh, get together and uh, to protest what's uh, going on in Ukraine. Uh, but unfortunately, I think uh, I think not many people will be uh, will dare to join the protest, given the fact that uh, we have seen how how the Kremlin is uh, dealing with these people uh, using a tremendous uh, amount of violence against them. Um, so uh, I think and I hope that uh, there are more Russians than what we see um, out in the streets who are, uh, who are opposing Putin's regime. And I hope that they will gain the courage to go out and to, uh, to, to uh, protest uh, the situation in Ukraine, which is absolutely tragic, and uh, I'm sure that uh, looking at the videos, looking at the reports, is um, is um, is quite tough for many Russians uh, to be responsible, uh, indirectly responsible, uh, when your country is is uh, using so much violence against uh, against Ukraine, and they call Putin uh, many 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 times Putin called brotherly nation, Ukraine, and uh, it is uh, absolutely unimaginable that um, at the same time they spread these um, these uh, narratives that Ukrainians and Russians are one people, and uh, uh, on the other hand, they use cluster bombs to shell uh, the cities and to, uh, to uh, kill Ukrainian people. I couldn't agree with you more. Could I just return to the idea of disinformation and how effective it is? How should people across Europe respond to this threat? I mean, should media organizations publish official information released by the Kremlin or should they ignore it? I'm just thinking in Ireland in recent weeks, we had Russian ambassador Yuri Filatov 
repeatedly state on all media channels and to various media organizations that the idea of a Russian invasion of Ukraine was insane and nothing was going to happen. He claimed that this was a, an invention of NATO that was simply designed to upset people and, uh, you know, interfere in, uh, I suppose, uh, peaceful uh, peace and democracy in Western Europe. Given those sort of blatant uh, mistruths, how should people, how should the media react to official information coming from Russia? Uh, it is very tough to um, counter this information given the amount and given the uh, the intensity of uh, this, informa- this information uh, coming from Russia. And uh, uh, obviously, it is very important to make sure that the public in the West is aware that um, you cannot trust this information coming even from official sources, because um, we have just discussed the uh, different examples of using the genocide claims, for example, of uh, making Ukraine an aggressor. Um, uh, So there are various ways, there are various messages that uh, Russia constantly spreads, and it is very hard to keep up, and it is very hard to fight this, um, fight against Russia on the information information realm. At the same time, I think uh, there are uh, various organizations in civil society um, uh, that are doing a very good job in terms of uh, finding these messages and making sure that uh, the it, it, they highlight that these messages contain this information and uh, uh, just serve the purpose of misleading the population. Uh, but I think uh, there is much more that... Uh, uh, the West should be doing, that we should be doing, because, uh, for example, in many countries, um, the channels such as Sputnik, such as uh, Russia Today, are able to spread these disinformation without any uh, consequences. So um, that is very harmful, because uh, not necessarily is everyone aware of uh, how uh, how much of a bigger tool uh, this information is in the Kremlin and how Kremlin uses it. So uh, in that sense, it is very hard to uh, change the public opinion, to deceive uh, the citizens uh, of Europe and the entire world. So in that sense, I think... Uh, um, a number of countries have made the decision to ban this disinformation channels, uh, the, the channels that spread disinformation. So I think although that is an extreme measure, I think uh, it is very important to follow this lead because we know that uh, these channels are being used as a, a warfare tool uh, in the Putin's regime, by the Putin's regime. So it is very hard to make sure that uh, adequate measures are taken to uh, fight these uh, these attempts to uh, mislead the public in the West. I'm really interested in your thoughts on Russian active measures because that's something that I've studied myself. I see it in operation uh, quite regularly and but a lot of people don't seem to understand what it is, how long it's been around and how Russia's Russia uses it to advance its aims and objectives. Could you give the listeners a brief synopsis of what Russian active measures are and also how they are being used in today's Europe uh, with with respect to Ukraine? Mm -hmm, Sure. 
um, even um, I mean during even before actually the Soviet Union, the Tsarist secret police has used various deceptive measures, um, methods, various active measures, using its foreign agents, for example, to create um, a certain narrative for imperial Russia. In the Soviet Union, this information, the active measures have been um, a major, they have been major tool and uh, one of the key pillars actually that allowed the Soviet regime to control the minds of the citizens and to brainwash them by providing twisted and uh, highly censored information. Uh, when uh, Mikhail Gorbachev introduced glasness um, and people of the Soviet Union gained limited access to the Western press, that's when I think many people realized how backwards and how far behind they have been uh, living compared to the civilized world. Um, and during the decade of Yeltsin's uh, chaotic presidency, uh, the first steps have been made to form independent media. Uh, mostly these me media uh, holdings were controlled by powerful oligarchs, and uh, such as Boris Berezovsky, Vladimir Kuczynski. However, for example, uh, both uh, uh, Chechen campaigns have been critically covered by some of the Russian media, such as NTV. Uh, when Vladimir Putin came to power, one of the first steps he has made was attacking uh, the oligarchs who owned uh, media. Uh, Gusinski and Berezovsky were both forced to flee the country and their businesses have been confiscated. Um, Putin has made a huge effort in monopolizing the media uh, and killing the critical voices. And um, the media the, uh, has been a uh, tool of its um, active measures, both internally and externally. Um, uh, and uh, we, have, we have named a couple of examples of how um, they use um, um, the Russia Today, Sputnik News, uh, to serve this particular message of uh, exporting Kremlin thinking abroad. Um, but there is much more uh, than that when it comes to Russia's active measures. Um, and by this, I mean um, Russia is engaging in uh, complex um, uh, Russia is using complex tools such as um, cyber warfare, um, uh, such as um, uh, the infiltration of uh, certain uh, countries with it, their uh, agents of influence in order to make sure that they create uh, chaos uh, in order to make sure that they can uh, affect the internal uh, democratization process. And this has been uh, very obvious in Georgia. This has been very obvious in Ukraine as well. And uh, for example, just to give you um, uh, a quick overview of what's been going on in Georgia uh, since the war uh, since the war of 2008 Russia has been pushing Georgia's border borders further into the territory mm -hmm. so uh, we call this process the borderization process which involves uh, Russia's attempt to uh, to um, uh, which basically means the creeping annexation of Georgia's uh, Georgia's territories, and uh, it is very um, uh, it is very unfortunate that uh, these uh, sort of um, active measures uh, that Russia is using against its neighbors uh, is is not really a part of the Western narrative. Has not been a part of the Western political agenda. However, um, we. Uh, 
even though we attempt to forget uh, these uh, conflicts, uh, ongoing conflicts, um, it is an everyday issue and uh, it is affecting uh, local populations on the ground and uh, it is deteriorating the humanitarian situation on the ground, which is um, very important and uh, there are there aren't as many tools um, that a small country like Georgia, for example, can use to uh, to uh, fight against these active measures. Unfortunately, uh, Russia Russia's strategy to um, weaken uh, Georgia, to weaken uh, Ukraine, is very complex and multifaceted, and we have seen that um, uh, they are not only using the uh, the um, military option, but throughout many years they have been using. Uh, various various options, various tools to make sure that these countries are broken from inside and these countries uh, won't be able to uh, match the expectations of and the requirements of the European Union and NATO um, and to make sure that they are back into the Russian orbit. Nadia, you believe Georgia is still at risk given what's happening in Ukraine do you believe that the risk has increased significantly because of what's happening in Ukraine? I think the risk has always been there. And uh, what we see in Ukraine is um, is uh, very alarming, not only for Georgia, but uh, for um, European security as well. Because uh, we have seen, for example, how Russia has used um, the migrant crisis to weaken uh, European uh, European states. And uh, when it comes to a military con- confrontation, a renewed military confrontation, I think uh, there is definitely a risk. And uh, I don't think that uh, Putin will stop at Ukraine. Um, even if he succeeds with his uh, plans in Ukraine, I don't think that Ukraine will be enough for Putin. Uh, this is a, this is a, uh, Ukraine is part of uh, Russia's grand strategy, let's say. But uh, the overall ambition is to uh, not to recreate the Soviet Union, but to achieve the same kind of leverage, the same kind of power. Um, and I think Putin is very serious about that. We have seen uh, a number of his statements uh, recently, and uh, uh, there are very alarming messages there, very alarming threats. And Georgia has been part of the ultimatum that Russia uh, Russia imposed on the West, uh, which basically um, Russia demands that Georgia uh, Georgia will no longer uh, be able to pursue its uh, its uh, Euro-Atlantic aspirations, particularly when it comes to joining NATO. And uh, uh, Russia demands to reverse the decision of the Bucharest summit of 2008 when uh, Georgia and Ukraine were offered, uh, were um, uh, promised that they would eventually become members of NATO. So I think uh, Georgia is definitely a target. And uh, we have to also remember that uh, there are ongoing um, uh, the conflict is still ongoing, even though uh, even though uh, nowadays Russia is more um, uh, focused on using various hybrid tools, uh, various hybrid methods to uh, to um, damage Georgia's uh, democracy and sovereignty. Uh, but definitely, uh, what we see in Ukraine uh, increases the threats, and uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, that. That is why the West should stand firmly with Ukraine. 
uh, and uh, first of all, of course, to uh, make sure that Ukraine will be able to pursue its sovereign choice to remain uh, a sovereign democratic state uh, aspiring to join uh, NATO and European Union. But uh, second of all, I think uh, if Kremlin uh, will achieve uh, to seize Ukraine, um, uh, this will create an immediate uh, threat to its neighbors, its other neighbors. And Georgia is one of the countries that is um, very uh, pro-Western. Uh, the absolute majority of the Georgian people uh, are in favor of the Western integration, are in favor of uh, Georgia becoming a consolidated democracy. So um, there is no doubt that Putin sees um, uh, see this as a threat. In your view, what do you believe there is a serious risk of underestimating Russia and its intentions towards European security? Um, I think over many years, um, uh, Russia's, uh, Russia has been underestimated. We have seen that in the past, um, uh, when Biden administration came to power, their main emphasis was on China. And uh, I think that that is uh, that was a mistake, and uh, we definitely see that um, this has uh, emboldened Russia to invade Ukraine. And also, I think... Um, the emphasis on China in conjunction with the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan was seen for Russia as a momentum to uh, achieve uh, what they planned for many, many years. And um, in that sense, I am glad to see that uh, the West has finally uh, managed to get together and to uh, assess the seriousness uh, the risks and the challenges uh, and the threats that Russia is posing for European security. And uh, we have seen that a number of countries um, that were skeptical before, they started to provide uh, weapons to Ukraine, they started to help Ukraine, and they joined the sanctions as well against Russia. Uh, we have seen that, uh, for example, in the UK, uh, there is an unprecedented uh, level of uh, pressure on oligarchs, and uh, a lot of people uh, have demanded this from the governments uh, in different countries for many years. But um, they, uh, the, the, but the result uh, was not was not uh, the same. I mean, the oligarchs were still able to uh, use their dirty money. Um, in the West, they were able to live uh, freely in the in the free liberal democratic societies while serving the Putin's regime. So now we see that uh, this approach is changing. It is unfortunate that um, it took uh, Putin to invade Ukraine to make sure that there, there there was a change in Western attitudes towards Russia. But I think it is definitely very important that uh, even though it's late, uh, the West has acknowledged the fact that Russia poses a very serious threat to not only for Ukraine, uh, but for European security order. And uh, if Russia is not stopped here, uh, I'm sure that uh, European security will be, uh, European security framework will be shifted um, forever. And this will pose uh, long-term risks for not, not only for Russia's neighborhood, but also for the West in general. Nadia, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for 
providing such brilliant expertise on this issue. Thank you very much for having me. And that concludes today's edition of The Dark State. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you could tell a friend or post a review. I hope you will join us again next week.